This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for February 8, 2019. In this week's episode, group FaceTime has been offline for over a week. Will Apple pay the teenager who found the bug? And why doesn't Apple have a Mac bug bounty program? A new Mac keychain vulnerability looks familiar, and two-factor authentication might not keep you safe. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. In last week's episode, we talked about a FaceTime bug that meant that when someone called you in a group FaceTime chat, they could see you and listen to you before you picked up the call. And that was a pretty serious bug. Apple still hasn't really fixed the bug yet, though, have they? Yeah, this is kind of interesting because uh, Apple said last week, and we, as we reported on last week's podcast, that they were going to release a software update, is how they described it, by the end of the week. Right. And what what actually happened is that Friday came and then they said, oh, um, yeah, we're going to release that update next week. It's going to be next week. Well, now here we are. We, we record this episode, uh, you know, a day a day in advance. So we're recording this Thursday morning. And as of right now, as we're recording, there is still no software update. You can still FaceTime with people. One on one calls are going through fine, but uh, you cannot do group FaceTime, which was introduced in iOS 12.1. You know, presumably Apple is maybe they're still going to release that update this week. Maybe it's being delayed for some other reason. I don't know. But we at least know what Apple is planning to do to address this. It was a little bit unclear at first what Apple was going to do for people who were still on the old versions of iOS that are affected by this bug. Because obviously they can't just turn on the group FaceTime service for everybody as soon as they release twelve point iOS 12.1.4. Because if they did that, then anyone who hadn't quite upgraded yet would still be affected and could be spied on. They, they had to find a, a clever way to do this. And, and essentially what they're going to do is as soon as 12.1.4 becomes available again, they'll turn group FaceTime back on. But from the server side, they're going to require you on your, on your client side to have at least iOS 12.1.4 in order to make a group FaceTime call. So if you've got an older version of iOS, you just won't be able to make group FaceTime calls. But if you've got a newer one, they'll let you do a FaceTime group FaceTime call. Some people don't update immediately, which is the problem. I think an iOS device checks for system updates once a week, unlike the App Store, which checks more often. So they rightly don't want people to be exposed if they're not updating. And I guess this isn't very complicated. The device is sending which version number it's running, and they can simply block it if it's not running the right version. One thing that came... Uh, out of this process is a discussion of Apple's bug bounty program. Many major software companies have a bug bounty program, which means if you find a security bug, they don't do this for bugs like, I don't know, the window's not the right size. They don't care about that. But if you find a serious security bug, they will pay you for it. And in some cases, they'll pay you a fair amount of money. And Google does this and Microsoft does this and lots of companies do it. Apple does this for iOS, but not for the Mac. And we'll talk about another security issue later, which is a bit of a problem for Apple because they don't have a bug bounty program. But it turns out that this kid, um, his name is Grant Thompson, may get paid 
for discovering this bug. Uh, we'll link to an article on Apple Insider. It says, an Apple executive has reportedly suggested that the 14-year-old who discovered the group FaceTime surveillance exploit would be rewarded by the company's bug bounty program. Now, I hope they give him more than just an iTunes store gift certificate because generally these bugs can net a lot of money. It's not like the average person who finds something and reports it to Apple Care who gets paid for this. Uh, it's generally people like you, Josh. You've been credited with finding security issues for Apple, although you never got paid for it, I don't think. It's security researchers. So in this case, a, a civilian coming up with a bug, whether they deserve it or not is you know, is debatable, but it does raise the question of whether Apple should have a proper bug bounty program for the Mac. But we'll touch on that later because there is a very interesting um, security issue around that. So in other Apple news, the company is going to remove a feature called Do Not Track from Safari 12.1 in the next updates, iOS 12.2 and macOS Mojave 10.14.4. Now, Do Not Track was designed as something that you could toggle on and it would tell companies who were playing along to not track you. I guess he realized no one was playing along, were they? Well, that's exactly the problem. Yeah. So uh, there were millions of users who turned on the do not track feature in their browsers. I turned it on on mine. It's something that the browser makers really is. Well, at least those who were not Google <laughs> really wanted to to promote because the idea behind this is, you know, this is great. Um, you know, if you don't want to be tracked uh, across websites, so an, an advertisement um, related to something you were looking at on another website can't pop up on another website. That was the idea behind this, is not being able to have uh, have these advertisements track you across multiple websites. But it just never really got enough traction from the actual advertisers themselves. There were there were enough there was enough interest from the browser makers, enough interest from privacy conscious you know consumers, but just you know, the advertising vendors didn't really have any reason to comply with this. And so they just decided not to. What Apple is saying is that we are going to remove this feature. And and the, the reason that they cite for this is that it actually makes you, it actually removes privacy from you from their perspective. Because it's one more thing that you know, somebody who runs a website can do to fingerprint you to figure out, you know, whether you are the same person across multiple websites. There's a whole bunch of different things that a website can do to sort of create a profile on who you are. Yeah, these include things like which operating system you're using, the size of your screen, um, which version of the software, which version of the operating system, specific settings in your web browser. Uh, these are all things that are sent to websites and they can aggregate this in many cases, they can actually identify people from that fingerprint, from the aggregate of all that information. Exactly. What Apple is saying is, well, this do not track flag, if you've got that turned on, then you know that's one more thing that someone can use to kind of create this fingerprint, this profile of you. I, I, don't, I can't fault Apple, honestly, for turning this off because as much as people might like the idea of having that do not track enabled, it doesn't really do anything, sadly. Okay, Google Chrome is going to get warnings for lookalike URLs, which are mistyped domains. So, for instance, if I were to type APLE.com instead of APPLE.com or, or IMTEGO.com instead of Intego.com, 
there are people who register these domains in order to set them up for phishing, to serve ads, to lure people into other sites, etc. And it's relatively, I mean, it happens to me sometimes. I'm typing in a browser and my fingers fumble and I end up on one of these domains. Um, so Google is going to have a warning for this, but is this really going to work? Uh, yeah. So, and, and this is, by the way, a very common thing. This is called typo squatting. Typo squatting. This has been going on practically since I think the early days of the web where, uh, you know, people realized, hey, you know, if there's some really popular website, you know, there, I bet you there's probably people who mistype it when they're typing it in. And, and if we register enough of those uh, similar domains, maybe we can actually make a little money. You know, maybe we can serve them some ads. Maybe we'll redirect them to the real page, but we'll pop up some ads or something in the meantime. But, um, you know, people have kind of also used this, like you say, for phishing to, to, to trick people to like steal their usernames and passwords. So, so this is something that, you know, has been a problem for a long time. And it's one of the reasons that we recommend that if you've got sites that you need to have secure access to, that rather than typing in the URL every time that you go to that site, you make sure you're on the actual site and you bookmark it. And so if you ever need to get back to that site again, you can just go to your bookmark and you don't have to worry about accidentally mistyping a URL. Or if it's a well enough known site, you can just Google it and go to it through Google. Exactly. Right. That's that's another way that usually will work fine for you. Here's what makes me really uncomfortable with this idea of Google looking for these lookalike URLs and and telling you, you probably meant this. Um, back in 2012, Adblock Plus actually had this feature. Adblock Plus is a, is a browser add-on that can block advertisements and uh, it does a couple of other things too, but it's supposed to be ostensibly like for privacy and safety to some degree. And Adblock Plus introduced this feature in 2012 that would do basically what Google is saying that Chrome is going to do, where it, it if it finds a URL that it thinks you're, you meant to type something else, then it would give you a su suggestion instead and say, oh, oops, we think that you meant this. We'll link to a, uh, a tweet in, in the show notes that I posted way back in 2012, seven years ago, where I, I took a screenshot of this feature. At the time, I was in a graduate program, and uh, when I went to my school's website, Adblock Plus actually tried to redirect me to some other website, thinking that that's where I really was trying to go. But another school website, a .edu website. Uh, what's interesting is the URL that you've got there looks like it came from a bookmark. It doesn't look like you just typed the domain. I'm looking at your screenshot. Right. This was a long, fairly long URL. So it's not like this is likely something that someone would accidentally mistype in a really long URL like this. And probably I think what, what it was is I, I probably had that URL in my browser history. And so I started typing it, it filled in the rest and I hit enter, you know, yep. return and continued on. And then this um, new feature in Adblock Plus told me that I was at the wrong website. So this is my concern. Um, as long as Google implements this well, I think it's not a problem. But it could happen that maybe in some cases it, it might accidentally think that you're trying to go to some particular site and take you to the wrong site instead. That's where it can be a concern. Right, but it won't be sending you to a malicious site. Chrome is using its feature that checks for malicious websites at the same time. So it's unlikely to send you to a malicious site. You may end up on the wrong site. And what would happen 
if it keeps trying to send you to the wrong site because it's just a slight difference, like the one in, in your screenshot, in your tweet. Would that be a sort of, would you kind of be stuck and not be able to get to the actual site you want to get to? Yeah, well, and so so this feature, you know, is slowly being rolled out. They haven't actually put this into the main consumer version of Chrome yet. It's a little bit unclear exactly when Google plans to put this in, in the uh, mainstream version of Chrome. If you do want to try this out, though, you can, you can try this in um, Chrome Canary, uh, which is a variation of Google Chrome that that Google puts out that's sort of like the bleeding edge. This is kind of like the browser that developer web developers usually would want to use because it gives them sort of a preview of what their site is going to look like on future versions of the mainstream version of Chrome. So you can actually try this out already in Chrome Canary. Um, they have started to enable some of these uh, look-alike URL detections. Although the feature sort of seems to exist in the current mainstream version of Chrome, it seems like they haven't fully enabled it yet. I mean, feel free to try this out. Um, just be careful. I mean, you know, you don't want to accidentally get to a phishing site or something like that. You, you know, honestly, I mean, Google's probably going to implement this a lot better than Adblock Plus did. I mean, Adblock Plus is, you know... Uh, it's it's a an extension developed by one guy i think pretty much and google has a lot of resources and so you know they could probably do a lot better job and they do have that database of malicious websites as well which they can leverage to be able to detect when uh, um, a typo squatted domain is going to be problematic yeah i don't think that google would would let you go to a malicious site but it it could it in some cases it could potentially take you to a site that you didn't really want to go to, which could be an annoyance. So hopefully Google will do a good job with this. Okay, we're gonna take a break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about a Mac OS keychain vulnerability that's been discovered and that Apple doesn't really know everything about yet. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac, or switch to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Earlier in the show, I mentioned the fact that Apple does not have a bug bounty for macOS. Someone discovered a zero-day vulnerability with the macOS keychain. Zero-day means that um, it's basically live and hasn't been discovered by the vendor in order to be able to fix it. And I'm not entirely sure how he's doing this, but I saw the video where he presented it, 
And he's created a little app that can go into your keychain and pull out your usernames and passwords, even without being logged in as an administrator. This is pretty serious. The biggest problem in talking about the bug bounty is the person who discovered this is not going to tell Apple how it works because they're not going to pay him. And and first of all, I should say that if this story somewhat sounds familiar to you, well, we have mentioned before that Patrick Wardle had a very similar thing that he had found a while back, also related to the macOS keychain, also uh, a case where, you know, you could run an app and, and it could do some things in the background behind the scenes that you probably don't really want just any old regular app to be able to do. And, and the concern here is that when you open the Keychain Access app on your Mac and you want to view your passwords, you actually have to type in your administrator password, or at least your, your user account password, in order to get to see those passwords. And that's not something that you have to do with certain backdoor ways like what this guy found and like Patrick Wardle had found previously. Now, Apple had, has long since patched the, the method that Patrick Wardle was using, but now this this other uh, researcher just came across a different way to do the basically the same thing. And so he has a little video showing the process, but not giving any technical details at all. And so, you know, there are some people who are a little skeptical and saying, you know, well, did this guy really discover a vulnerability? Is he just doing a copycat thing as, as a publicity stunt? But this guy has actually discovered vulnerabilities in the past. So I, I believe that he really does have another way to do this, very similar to the way that Patrick Wardle was able to, to find a way through this before. So essentially what you'll see if you watch this video is that, um, you know, if you open up the keychain access, you got to type in a password. That's the only way to get your passwords out. If you open up this program, which does some stuff behind the scenes, um, without, you know, needing to put in any password at all, it will get all your passwords right out of your keychain. So um, what does this mean? Well, he's not planning to release this app publicly, but the idea is that the vulnerability that he's using, any bad guy could use. And so if you, you know, downloaded maybe a Trojanized version of an app, uh, you know, without really knowing it, basically, if you get an app on your system, uh, if you, or if you get infected, this is just an, uh, an easy way for that infection to be able to just extract all your passwords and send them off to some remote attacker. This is another one of those Tom Cruise things. He sends a little app by email and someone double clicks it and boom, it gets all the passwords. Can you speculate how this works? Because not, not the, all the details, because when I was looking at the video, I was thinking you open the keychain app. And as you say, if you want to view a specific password, you've got to enter your password, right? There's a little dialogue. So this app must be able to either get through that authentication process or somehow access your user password. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, I think what it's probably doing is it's either using um, an API, an application programming interface that Apple makes available. Um, it may be, um, you know, exploiting it's it's well it seems to be exploiting some vulnerability that's that's kind of the main thing and so there's there's some way that apps can sort of get around this um, security method that apple puts in place to protect your passwords they're he's found some way around that um what we can do is uh although we don't know the technical details of this we can link uh to 
uh, Patrick Wardle's method that he found previously, because he actually wrote up a very detailed explanation of what he did. And I suspect that it's probably something very similar to that that this uh, developer has found this time around. So, so what's controversial about this, like you said, is that he's wanting to sort of push Apple and sort of make a big stink about the fact that Apple does not have a macOS bug bounty program. Because, you know, Apple does have a program for a limited program for iOS related security bugs, but they have nothing for macOS. And so what's the incentive then for someone who finds these security bugs, if they can go and like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, you know, if someone can go and sell this, you know, these bugs for, in some cases, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or more. Hundreds of thousands for some of them. It's sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why on earth would they want to give this bug to Apple for free? And so that's a perspective that some security researchers have. And, you know, that's why a lot of researchers really don't like that Apple doesn't have a bug bounty program for Mac. Well, I could think of a reason why they wouldn't want to sell it to the highest bidder. I'm thinking it's probably criminal to do that. You know, in some jurisdictions, I'm sure that that is true. A lot of times, you know, the the way that these systems work, you, you don't necessarily always know who's going to ultimately end up with the details of your vulnerability report when you send them to some of these vulnerability brokers. Is that is that an actual thing? Vulnerability brokers? <laughs> this is an actual thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and like we said uh, on a previous episode, you know, in some cases, this is actually governments yeah. who they're paying for these vulnerabilities because they're trying to do Tom Cruise like things. Well, imagine how useful this would be for law enforcement, because if they get into someone's Mac, then they can get passwords to, well, maybe not all of their accounts, because people might not always use the Mac OS keychain to store their passwords. But if they do regularly, um, then everything they access in the web would be there. Exactly. Right. So, so this is, I, I would say this is a pretty serious thing. Um, you know, a lot of people are kind of downplaying this because, well, you have to have access to that computer, right? Um, the other way that this could work, uh, we, we've talked before about the importance of actually setting up a password requirement to log into your computer. If you don't have a password set on your computer, then anybody can just walk up to your computer plug in a USB drive or download an app or something and run a program like this to extract all your passwords from the keychain. So as long as this vulnerability exists anyway. Another thing that we're certainly aware of is that there are ways to reset an administrator password on a Mac. I don't think we've discussed this on the show before, but there are methods to do this that aren't that hard. Um, So if someone finds your Mac, they can just reset the password and they'll get access. Now, if Correct me if I'm wrong, if you have File Vault on, the reset password won't unlock the File Vault protected disk. You'll still have to enter the password for the disk separately. I, be- I believe that is true. Because File Vault is a disk specific password, it's not related to your user account. Mm-hmm. So, another good reason to always use File Vault on your disks. Right. So, if Apple were to introduce a bug bounty program, do you think that a lot of people would look for bugs? I would. <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I probably would myself. You can certainly always get paid more by going to one of these vulnerability brokers, right? Be, but again, you don't know who's going to end up with that information. And so I, I like the idea of being able to report something directly to Apple 
And, you know, and because I took the time on my own personal time, you know, to find this bug, it would be nice to get paid for it. Right. So um, I, I think I think, yeah, I think a lot of people probably would. In fact, what I suspect, maybe one of the reasons why Apple hasn't implemented a Mac OS bug bounty program is maybe they're afraid of being overwhelmed <laughs> by, by, you know, oh, just opening up the floodgates. Yeah, they'd have to staff up to get people to sort through all this. And, you know, Apple exactly. really can't afford to hire another 50 people to handle something like this. So, Well, that's what I find so amusing about this, of course, yeah. is you're, you're being facetious yes. because Apple has all kinds of money, yeah. right? I mean, like Apple has more money than virtually anyone, any other company in the entire universe. So, like, if anyone can have a great bug bounty program, can have it well staffed, um, you know, with really, you know, uh, intelligent security research professionals who can understand the details of these bug reports. And, uh, you know, it's Apple. Apple can do this. And Apple should be doing this. They should be leading the way because they they have the money and therefore financial resources to do this. And in some ways, it's good press to say, OK, we're we're being proactive on this and we're trying to protect our users as much as possible by getting all this information. On the other hand, do we know how many people work on security for Apple? Maybe they have hundreds of people who are already looking for bugs and finding them. They're hiring people all the time. Um, it, it is something that Apple is interested in, right? They are interested in securing the, uh, the Apple platforms, including the Mac OS, but they're, they could really show that, show greater evidence of that by having a bug bounty program. This is something really that only security geeks care that much about, yeah. right? But this is something that um, it would show good faith toward the security community. And also they would get a lot of bug reports this way and they would patch a lot of vulnerabilities. We may not have nearly as many things like this keychain vulnerability, you know, out there in the wild if Apple just had a program like this so that people could make a, a little bit of money and feel good also at the same time knowing that they're actually reporting this to the vendor itself. So with companies that do have bug bounty programs, do you submit the information and do you have to sign an NDA? Because, the, because that would prevent this from coming out in the press. And this particular keychain bug, okay, granted it's only in the Mac press, but it is it does make people less confident using their Macs when they hear about this. Whereas if a bug bounty program means that people can't talk about stuff, it won't get publicized. Right. Well, and that usually is one of the conditions because they don't want you sort of making a big deal out of it. And they certainly don't want you publishing the details about it until at least some period of time after Apple has patched the bug. Uh, because, you know, they don't want other people to start using this attack against people who haven't patched their systems yet. Okay, one other brief bit of news. Um, we've talked about two-factor authentication a lot. In fact, we talked about two-factor authentication every three or four shows because it really is important to protect your accounts. I've got an article on the Intego Mac Security blog about some two-factor authentication apps you can use for iOS because SMS is inherently insecure. The New York Times has an article saying two-factor authentication might not keep you safe, saying the online security best practice is still vulnerable to phishing attacks. Now, they're really just talking about the text message or the email or whatever, aren't they? Essentially what this New York Times piece says is that, well, that the headline, of course, is two-factor authentication might not keep you safe. It's, it's important to understand kind of where they're coming from on this. I, I think, first of all, we should say right up front, 
as, as we have in the past, that it's, it is very important to have two-factor authentication or two-step verification, sometimes it's called. Meaning that not only is there, there a password, but you also have to put in, uh, for example, you might get a text message, and that's what they're talking about in this article. Sometimes that's the only second step that you have as an option. If, if that's all you've got, at least use that. But there are much better ways to do the second step. There are apps like Authy, like Google Authenticator, and a number of others that um, give you a, another way to log into the site by using an app on your iPhone. Right. And I discussed that in the article. Um, basically, when you set up two-factor authentication on a website, you get a code that you use in the app that sort of like a handshake um, to authenticate your app with the website. And then your app can then generate the codes. Uh, I do this with one password. It's built into one password that any login you have, you can add two-factor authentication to. But there are still websites where I can only get SMSs to sign in. And, and they get into some other interesting things in this New York Times piece. And, and this is something that, um, have you ever heard of Kevin Mitnick? Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Mitnick was was a, a hacker who was kind of well known. He he served some time in jail, and and you can look up his whole history. Well, I watched a talk that he gave recently where he was talking about, and he actually showed a demonstration of some other ways that you can get around two factor authentication if all you're talking about, for example, is just a text message, right? So uh, what he showed was that if you set up a, a phishing site and, and the way that he demonstrated it, he actually went even so far as to have a man in the middle, like we've talked about before, where he was actually intercepting the request from your computer to the server that you were trying to get to. And so he was actually, he had the actual URL of, you know, whatever it was that he was trying, you know, uh, trying to, to impersonate. So what he did was he basically was just taking everything that was coming from the website and feeding it to the user and everything that was coming from the user and feeding it to the website. Uh, well, well, so first of all, the user puts in their password, right? Um, that request goes through the man in the middle or, or a phishing page could just be a phishing page. And then the phishing page, um, sends that same request that came from the user to the company. Now the company issues a text message. So the user gets the text message, they type in the code. And then uh, when they type in the code, they're actually giving it to the phishing site. And then the phishing site turns around and hands it to the actual legitimate site. So the phishing site is able to log in being a sort of intermediary, getting the information. Of course, that's not easy to do, but it's entirely possible. It's certainly much more complicated to set up a system like this. Um, which is why, you know, a lot of fishers don't even bother to, to go to take this extra step. There's enough people who don't use two-step verification for now. that honestly they can get it for now. Yeah. yeah. That honestly they can get into a lot of people's accounts um, without having to go to all this extra trouble. There are a lot of researchers, um, especially those who have really dug into this deeply, who are super paranoid and, you know, that go to lengths such as you know, when they type in their password, when they're, when they're in a hotel room, they put the blanket over, you know, over their head, you know, so in case there's a hidden spy camera somewhere in the room. Hey, you, you jest there, but I, I read an article last week, and if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes, about uh, people with surveillance cameras in Airbnb rentals. All right, so next time, stay in a real hotel, and until then, stay secure, Josh. 
All right. Stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>